We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in his nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Everybody to another edition of the Rockpile Report podcast. I'm your host, Bill season ticket holder Drew Gear, which is hilarious, Chris, that we still start our podcast that way. Uh, that's my producer, Chris Kruger. In studio with us tonight, Sir Anthony Prohaska from Disguise Coverage, a cover one. And uh, first of all, I, I want to open with this, guys. Well, first of all, we're here talking Bill's camps, camp basics, cornerbacks, linebackers, we're going to give it a pre-training camp rundown the way we do things. Mm-hmm. You know, you smart people with all of your charts and graphs. Bro, and stop, the, stop categorizing me as that. Stop categorizing me. <laughs> now, Chris had the best burn on Anthony I think he's had in a while. Uh, I accused him earlier when he first got here of being a stat and numbers guy. He goes, whoa, 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 don't put that on me. And Chris goes, obviously he's not. Look at the way he's wearing his hat. I was wearing it differently than I'm wearing it right now, to be fair. It was backwards and... Backwards and cocky. If anybody watches the show, they know how I wear my hat regularly when it's backwards. I know, though, we're not this. We're not doing a Forbidden Door recap on this episode? Forbidden Door recap? I mean, we can. We tried, yes. we, we tried scheduling a podcast last week, but this guy had to go to something called Forbidden Door, which I thought right. sounded like an Eyes Wide Shut party. Could be. And the funny thing is, is that Chris hasn't seen that movie. I haven't seen it either. No. What? Yeah, no. Okay, guys, see, this is what pisses me off. It's no Silver Linings playbook. Well, so this is it. (laughs) So here's Anthony Prohaska, host of Disguise Coverage over on the Cover One Network. A fan of so many things that bother me. He likes baseball. He likes wrestling. And he's he's like one of, he's maybe the only person I know besides Chris, like, Who's your film choices? No, no. And your tastes uh-uh. and the things you've seen. Uh-uh. You're the only one whose opinions bother me more than Chris's. I don't like Silver Linings Playbook like that. I'm just purely, I'm healing it up and generating heat. <laughs> you're That's doing it. a great job of I it. I know, I know my audience. Yeah, well. I'm very smart. 
You see the way I wear my hat. Yeah, you're no, <laughs> you're no Don Callis. You're no Don. Well done. Don Callis is a wrestling manager. I hate you all. He, managed, he used to manage Kenny Omega. Omega. Who is that? Now he manages uh, Kanosuke Takeshita. Well, he wasn't. It's not even a real person. He no, was in the WWF way back in the nineties right, with the jackal. Uh, you know what yeah. the fun thing is? Is that you? When we're done recording this podcast, we're gonna sit down and go through like the nineties roster of yep. like jobbers, probably. And one of those guys is gonna be the assumed name that I sign up for the cover one Slack under, <laughs> just to harass Greg. I like it. I Iron, <laughs> Iron Mike Sharp. <laughs> <laughs> I had to try to. I had to curtail my laugh on that to not. I purposely made sure I didn't. There's something with this guy. He's a freak. He laughs and it breaks the program. It's a gift. Our recording program shuts down because he 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 just what is it, Chris? He ranges out. That's right. It's a special octave. Um, takes a lot of years to practice and hone. Um, it's a gift and a curse. A gift, you know. But uh, I am who I am and wouldn't have it any other way. So we're talking about we're going to start tonight with the cornerback group. You know, I had a training camp. We're taking a look at this. We're trying to get a feel for each position group and put our own little flair or have our own little conversation about it. Big flair. When I look at the cornerback group, <laughs> oh my god, I hate this. guys. I'm, I'm going to be hammered by the end of this. I promise. Cap allocation for the cornerback room as of today is thirty five point two million. Now the percentage of the, our cap is fifteen point five, which seems low, uh-huh. right? Like for an NFL cornerback group. It seems low when you go, oh, you're only spending 15% of your group. But the Buffalo Bills are currently number one in spending in the NFL at the cornerback position, which seems crazy when you consider what else is out there. Like, look at Miami. They just added Jalen Ramsey. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously, there was some contract stuff involved there. Mm -hmm. But they still have uh, uh, Xavier Howard. Howard. They are somehow 10th. Nine spots behind Buffalo, who has one Pro Bowl All-Pro name and a bunch of dudes. Well, the salary cap's a myth. Fair. But I guess my question is, how do we get to that number? Like, Chris, pull, pull up. Mm, you've, got the sal- you've got the Bill salary cap table there up on the screen in front of us. So if you scroll down, like, who do you see on this list? I mean, it's Teron Johnson. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, because that's factored in that. I didn't even think of Terran because I'm thinking outside corners. Well, I mean, Trey's sitting there at a 16.2 cap hit, and then Terran's got a sizable chunk. Elam's contract is somewhat decent because he's a first round pick. Obviously, he's not breaking the bank because he's a back end of the first kind of guy. But then, yeah, you're saving with um, Dane Jackson and Christian Benford. That's very interesting. I definitely I knew they were higher because of an episode I did earlier this off season. I would not have guessed they were number one. That's very interesting to me. Yeah. And we're number one while only having nine cornerbacks on the roster. Everyone else inside the top ten for spending has at least ten. Some of them have 12 or 13. Mm. And we with nine are more expensive than them. And yet, so so we're going to talk about that. They have a total of nine bodies. The number of starters I put four with a question mark because... Mm. As we're going to talk about, I don't know who's a starter and who's not. Mm. But that might be a good problem to have. I don't know. We'll talk about it. Uh, Stats and standings of note. Of all cornerbacks with 400 or more snaps last season, Trey White posted the 13th best QBR against while not being 100% the Trey White we know. There was only one of our cornerbacks inside the top 50 (laughs) for coverage grade. Uh, Kyrie Lim finished 48th. And everyone else kind of slow. Trent McDuffie was twentieth, so that's nice. Trent McDuffie's a he's a fantastic corner. I I, hey. I don't subscribe to coverage grade. 
Hey, okay. It's really arbitrary. But you're a stats and numbers guy. Okay. So, I mean, that's different, I guess. But here's what I hate. What I don't like is watching a rookie cornerback who a team intentionally traded up ahead of us to get. Yes. Flourish. Yes. And watch our guy languish on the sideline when he's healthy. That narrative needs to stop. Christian Benford played early. Does it? Also a rookie. And... I feel a little personal with this one because I said it towards the end of the season because I kept getting so many comments during episodes. Why isn't Kyrie Elam playing? Why isn't Kyrie Elam playing? And Eric Turner and I had him in the cover one film last week. was absolutely amazing. But I talked about multiple times last year when you watch the game tape, he was making mental errors from a coverage standpoint. He was getting barked at by some of the safeties. And again, it, it, this isn't – it's the same thing negative of him. He was a rookie and he was growing into the system. But he would make some mental lapses. There were two that come right to mind for me against Miami in the playoffs where he just did not follow a man in motion. He completely blew coverage. Skyler Thompson just couldn't see it. And I would imagine those things were happening in practice. And then it becomes that like that balancing act of, okay, we want our rookie to get time on task and we want him to develop. But we also don't want to have any liabilities or vulnerabilities potentially when we get on the field. And Sean McDermott and or Brandon Bean said as much, I think maybe like a month or two ago, I just remember retweeting it because I was like, ha, confirmed. But I I don't think that narrative of Sean McDermott doesn't play rookies. I disagree with it, one. And then two, when it comes to the Chiefs, and I say this as a person, I love Trent McDuffie. He was my corner three last year behind Sauce and behind Stingley. Not in that order. Stingley, I had one. Sauce, I had two. So I love Trent McDuffie. But KC did not have any other options at corner. They had to start Williams. They had to start McDuffie. They had to kick uh, McDuffie into the slot when LeJarrius Sneed got banged up. So that's not to say those players didn't play good, and that's not to say you know the Chiefs don't deserve their flowers for making those picks. But they didn't have, for as much maligned as he is by Bill's Mafia, they did not have a Dane Jackson. They did not have any person that they could put in. They were either going with those rookies or they were starting no one because that's what their team looked like. And that's really what they've drafted a lot of going on the defensive side of the ball, which you can do when you have Patrick Mahomes and you spend in free agency on the old line and you hit with the Creed Humphreys of the <clears> world <throat> and Trey Smith on the yep. offensive line. They've gone heavily into the defensive side on the draft. So their depth chart was heavily comprised of rookies. So again, that's not to take anything away from K. AC or Trent McDuffie in the year that he had because you still got to draft those guys. You still got to pull the trigger. They still got to make plays. But it was either those rookies or no one. They had no other option. So they got lucky. No. Still. The, but they they were lucky in the fact that, and I don't want to say lucky, but they were beneficiaries of the fact that those rookies were able to step in and play because whether they had succeeded or failed, they were playing no matter what because they did not have any, any other bodies. Hell, for all we know, if McDuffie face plants and Williams face plants maybe they're the ones to bring in Xavier Rhodes instead of the Buffalo Bills at that point it, maybe. It, it just happened to be that those guys worked out but again kudos to the front office for identifying those guys and the coaching staff for getting them ready but they had no other bodies to put in there the number three three of our boundary corners finished in the top 27 for yards after the catch allowed mm. that's not great and not a single one of our boundary options played a full season that is also true. So when you talk about what went wrong for our cornerback group in 2022, you can start right there. Not a single one of them played a full season. Mm -hmm. So Trey, obviously, there's a re you understand that one. Yes. You say, hey, he's rehabbing that. Okay, fine. Mm -hmm. The Benford situation, the Elam situations, the Jackson situations, you go, 
as a fan, you look at that and you go, I've got cause for concern that one of these guys can't just take that job convincingly enough to stay on the field for a full season. That gives me pause because I already know who my CB1 was. I understand that we were just shuffling deck chairs waiting for him to get back. Mm -hmm. Going into this year, I know who CB1 is. Mm -hmm. The problem is with everything that comes behind him because in a perfect world, one of those guys over the course of a season would have asserted themselves well enough that we would be coming into this portion of the, the the following season going, I know who CB2 is. Yes. The fact that we don't is, it's problematic at best. Uh, there's some people who might call it, like, one of the warts on your roster, mm. if you want to call it that. Uh, if you want to talk about what went right, well, and I think as far as what went wrong, Dane Jackson maybe showed his ass a little bit. Like, that's a part of this, right? He, he, the start of his season went really well until teams figured out that they could steal on him. And what happened is in the first, he, he hadn't been targeted more than four times in the game going through week nine, but he also hadn't given up more than 50 yards. Mm-hmm. After week nine, three games of more than 75 yards that coincide with, he was getting targeted eight, nine, ten times a game. Mm. And his worst games came against Detroit, Cleveland, and the Jets, all who have great outside wide receiver talent. Mm. So it's clear he's not CB1 material because those teams that had the uh, St. Browns and the uh, Amari Coopers, Coopers, they ate him up. So with that in mind, it's like, ah, well, I kind of wish that had gone better because Mm. I read now when people were like, I can't believe they're going to let Dane Jackson walk or bring him back on a a small deal, like a prove Mm. deal. This is what they're seeing every day. Mm. Right. Like sometimes when those decisions get made, people are like, I can't believe the coaching staff doesn't like Levi Wallace. What is Levi Wallace? The fact that they the fact that they didn't tender him as an RFA that year and then said, "Listen, go see the market. Mm-hmm. We'll be here with one point like one million dollars mm-hmm. when you're ready." Mm-hmm. <laughs> he Fair. ended up having to come crawling back, but they knew who he was. Mm-hmm. They knew he was that type of player. Mm-hmm. I feel like they knew that about Dane Jackson too. I disagree slightly. I think Dane had a better year when you look at it on the whole. Granted, you know if you're, if if you're looking at certain stretches. I think that's very fair. He had a lot of games. You, as soon as you pointed him out, the Detroit one and the Cleveland one stick in my brain. Where he's in, he's in perfect. Like not even to, to, to exaggerate, he's in tremendous coverage. He's sticky. He's right there, and he just can't make a play on the ball. Like, and it's sometimes it's his. He's not getting his head turned around. Other times, mm-hmm. he's got his hand in, in between the receiver's hands, but the receiver's still making a catch. Some of that also happened to Taron Johnson in that stretch as well. Sure. But when you look on the whole, and it's funny because I did a corner episode yep. this week on disguise coverage, and I have a graphic that's sticking in my brain. Um, shameless plug. He had a better year on the whole than he wait, Chris, gets you credit mean, for. Wait, Chris, you mean that graphic? Ah, ah, look at you yeah, guys. That's what I'm talking about. Look at this. I'm very <laughs> impressed. I'm very impressed. Um, this is art to me as well i'm horrible at design and this to me is the equivalent of whoever painted starry sky or night or whatever this is mine right here so take that for what you will um now again i think dane jackson if you're looking at him i think he's a cb3 or he can be a low to a mid cb2 depending on the scheme you're playing depending on the system you have and depending on what surrounds him in terms of the rest of the players sure. in your secondary. ideally again now, the Bills system, he fits it well schematically based on coming from Pat Narduzzi's defensive pit. And then you look at when healthy, you've got an all-pro corner and you've got two all-pro safeties. So this is a system that 
benefits him from, yeah. from, from, from start w- to finish. Because you can hide stuff like that. Whatever yes. your warts are, we can hide it with the talent around you. Absolutely. Which is, the, the we were just talking about Trey McDuffie. It's like, look, you guys can make a lot of mistakes on defense. It doesn't matter because we don't need you to be elite. We need you to be on the fucking field. Exactly. Because we have a guy who will go out and drop a 40 hammer if we need him to. Yeah. And we have a coach who understands how to put his foot on the gas when necessary. Yeah. In fact, this conversation we're having, so what went right for Buffalo, we, obviously we don't need to drag it out. There wasn't a lot great about the way our cornerbacks did, but mm-hmm. we did unearth some value in Christian Benford. Mm-hmm. We found out that we had a late-round pick that can mm-hmm. bring value. Mm-hmm. Kyrie Elam turned it up near the end, mm-hmm. made some... He flashed. Yes. And now we just absolutely. need him to find some consistency. Yes. So now as we're entering camp, I genuinely believe that this cornerback two thing is one of the most interesting... Like, if you're the type of cornerback... Uh, cornerback if you're the type of fan who only follows training camp reports <laughs> just because you're like, well, I want to hear about the rookies. I mm. want to hear a story. I want to hear the, okay, you know, or who, who's a starter? Mm. Like, then I'll tell you what, like, this is, this is it. This might yeah. be one of your, like, this is one of your silver tunas right here. <laughs> who is the guy who holds down the CB2 job? Who do they start? How does the how, how what is the ebb and flow of snap count over the course of not just at the start but at the because I guarantee you Dane Jackson will get the nod to start mm. by virtue of even though you hate it I think Sean McDermott does this thing where he looks at young players and says look I need you to earn it yes. take that Fair. job you're not just going to be given it because we drafted you you have to take it. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, they're probably just like Matt Milano and Ramon Humber. They're going to probably defer to Dane Jackson. And I mean, these numbers here aren't terrible. No, they're t- I mean, for as much maligned as he was again last year, like he's in this is out of 136 qualifying quarter cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. He's in the top 30s for in top 40s for a significant amount of important metrics, uh, especially like QB rating against. And if you're looking at snaps per reception, um, a lot of those pieces. Now, the EPA per target is not great for him. But it's also not great for Kyrie Elam. No. It's surprisingly very strong for Christian Benford. I was surprised putting the graphic together for for, for this and seeing that for Benford. Well, but we can t- talk about a little bit in terms of makeup yes. why I think that might be. It could be. But, but to your point, real quick, with Dane, I think everything you you said is is pretty spot on. Like and and it's understandable. He presents a high floor in almost like everything, but he's not sexy. We know the limited athleticism. Mm-hmm. We know the limitation in ceiling. But at the end of the day, he's responsible. He's smart. And he's enough that Sean McDermott knows, okay, if I need him to be in this position, he'll be in this position. And that's so important for a team that plays a lot of match coverage and plays yes. a lot of coverages that are based on knowing your assignment and everyone else on the defense trusting you'll be where they need you to be. And that's the thing is he's, he's your steady Chris, if there's an analogy here, if there's an analogy here, Dane Jackson is the is the six that you meet at like Blackthorn, like a South Buffalo bar on a Friday night. And Man. she's like a six, six to a six and a half. But that's good because she's still attractive. She's funny. She's got some personality and you know she won't cheat on you, at least not that quickly. So with that in mind, that's Dane Jackson. Dane Jackson's Damn. that low f- low ceiling but decent floor option mm-hmm. that you say, look, I can live with this. I mm-hmm. can make this work. What you're hoping is that one of these other two cornerbacks steps up. And when you talk about their makeup, I mean, you got Christian Benford. He was the surprise of last year's training camp Absolutely. and the early start of the season yeah. in the fact that he started over Elam. Nice blend of these high RAS metrics. Mm-hmm. And elite size at six foot four, mm. and so you talk about why is EPA? Mm-hmm. You, you want to talk about why? 
I think a part of it is is that he plays a very aggressive style of coverage. It costs him. It costs him. He mm. will get hurt by that sometimes. You mm. saw it. Mm-hmm. You're film guy. Film guy, numbers guy. I'm just, Chris, I'm going to see how many, how, count how many things I ascribe to him over the course of the show. You're, you're a such and such guy. Well, you got to marry, you got to marry the you're film. A hoodie, and you're a hoodie numbers. guy. Yeah. Listen, I work in a very chilly office all day. The AC goes right above me and it was cold today. So I wore a hoodie and you wear your hoodie when you're doing your, when you're doing your podcast. Because I blast the AC in the house. It's chilly. So you crank the AC to a point where you have to put a sweater on in your own home. Absolutely. I like to be like in the summer, like I'm cranking the AC to the point that if I'm on the couch with a T-shirt and shorts, I got to wear a blanket. I got to use a blanket. I like it. I like it. So you can cozy up to watch Silver Linings Playbook on Absolutely. TNT. Listen, it, there's nothing better than just it's like a 98 degree day. Also, amazing band. Just kidding. They're terrible. A nice hot day outside. You're cranking that AC. It's chilly. And you got a nice... Bills blanket, or maybe I'm rocking a baseball blanket, a little Red Sox. You're a huge baseball fan. You get it. And then all of a sudden, you're just looking for something on TV, and you just get a really supreme choice film like Silver Linings Playbook, where you just get dance and tremendous script writing and tremendous dialogue. It's just... You know how that movie should have ended? What movie... What can't that movie do? You know how that movie should have ended? With an Oscar? (laughs) Did it not win It might have gotten one. (laughs) That movie should have ended... That when Robert De Niro lost all of his money... He won it back. Yeah, but when he lost all of his money, right? Like, when all the money was gone... Yep. He booked it out of town. Okay. Bailed on his entire family. All right. Uh, What's his face? Bradley Cooper's character spirals again. Wow, okay. Ends up back in the hospital. Okay. And then we find out that none of this ever happened. A real M. Night Shyamalan thing. It's all in his head. And he's been committed ever since because he had a nervous breakdown after the first incident. And because he's soft, he never made it out. And that's the end. That's how that movie should have ended. Like, like what's that? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? They lobotomize Mm -hmm. him. Boom. Done. He never leaves. He plays Chinese checkers all day long with some gigantic Native American guy. And that is how the movie... Now, I would watch that film. I don't hate it. See? I don't hate it. See, I immediately just made Silver Linings Playbook better. Hey, That's what a shitty movie it is. So Benford, like, <laughs> so easy transition. Easy Christian transition Benford. back to Christian. Well, because we're talking about things that whiffed. That movie whiffed. Wow. So, so does Christian Benford. Mm. He has one of the highest missed tackle rates on the entire team. Mm. He's not great in run support. Mm. And he tries. Mm. He's physical. He's mm-hmm. big. He comes down. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Missed tackle percentage was twenty. So you're not, and then you look at the rash scores and you go, well, he has all these things. He's got speed, he's got size, but his agility's not great. His mm-hmm. agility testing was not good. Mm-hmm. And then you see how guys were able to get free on him in space and you go, oh, okay, I kind of saw a little bit of stiffness there, which mm-hmm. is kind of plays into why he was a sixth round pick. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I don't know. I think his floor could, in theory, be a little bit lower than Jackson's when you look at his mm-hmm. yards per reception allowed, his yards after the catch allowed, because it's these things. Mm-hmm. He's tall, he's big, but also you can't go down the field on him and try to drop it in the bucket because he's bigger than your receiver. Mm. So you have a hard time. When you're talking about his EPA being better, mm-hmm. it's because we watched Jackson get burned deep. That Jets game. We're like, oh, yeah, we just sacked him, we did this, we've got the game flipped. He immediately gives up a giant play to, uh, to uh, what's their, their guy's name? Oh, uh, Hulk Hogan. No. <laughs> no Garrett, Garrett Wilson. The, yeah, Garrett Wilson. He immediately gets them like right back into at least field goal range. And you're mm. like, what the fuck, Dane? Mm. We had them on the ropes. How did you, how'd you let this happen? Mm. And both he and Elon had a little bit of that mm-hmm. here and there. 
I think the thing is, is that you didn't see the down the field stuff where like, hey, I'm just going to air this one over you and there's a contested catch possibility and my guy's going to make it. We were just talking about with Dane Jackson. Mm. That didn't happen to Benford because Benford was so tall, I feel like the quarterbacks just didn't take those shots on him. Mm. Some of it, I think, too, is the schemes that they played with Benford. Yes. And I like his skill set for what he is. For what he is. And put him in press. Let him beat up receivers. Yes. You know, he held his own early on in the year. He, again, he's another guy, despite whatever you're going to see from the athletic testing. He's not the most athletic guy. Um, no. I, I always think the first play I ever saw from him, and there wasn't a lot of tape on him that I had access to when he came out, was against Penn State. And the first play against Penn State, Johan Dotson turns him around, and it's <laughs> really bad and really ugly. I was like, well, this guy's going to be awful. And then he has a tremendous camp. He beats al Elam. He's competing for reps. But you use him in that way. Like, you it, know what you're doing as exactly. a coach. You're and Sean McDermott as a defensive back knows, hey, I understand this guy. Exactly. I get his limitations, so we're going to put him in situations to win. Yes. Which is why I think that who comes out of this is even more interesting because you're not talking about a coach who's just making dart throws at a cornerback position. You're talking about a coach who understands cornerbacks and safeties better than most coaches in the NFL right now. I think that his resume from the time he was a defensive coordinator to now speaks to the fact that he on his own can elevate the way a cornerback appears simply by putting them in good spots because he has mm. a better under new more nuanced understanding of their skill set and how he can use it. He gets a lot of blood from the stone regardless of if that stone has a lot of blood or not. So it could yes. be a Levi Wallace or a Dane Jackson. Look at Josh Norman. There you go. Jo- he, he has Josh Norman as a defensive coordinator and he goes, okay, I have this pass rush and I have this guy who didn't test well athletically, mm. but I bet you I could turn him into something. And he's an all pro. Yeah. And then obviously age catches up, robs him, and then, then that lack of athleticism comes yeah, to Yeah, and he goes to a defense that plays a ton of man coverage, and he thinks, you know what? I'm amazing. I can do this. And no, you can't. No, and he fell. He fell on his face. You bring in Trey White as a rookie. Boom! Mm-hmm. Trey White, just a splash, and everyone goes, oh my God, no, because he under. He was playing with guys like, Sh- what, Sharice Wright, I think, was one of the cornerbacks on mm. that t- 2017 team. Good name drop. The fact that he knew that he could support, he goes, this young kid's going to be electric if I can just get him in the right situations. Mm. Roman Harper was done. Roman Reigns. Roman Harper got cut. <laughs> he got cut by the Panthers, and then the Saints signed him. Or no, no, the Saints cut him. The, the, yeah. the, the Panthers signed him. Yeah. He had two great seasons. He and the no, Saints and, 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 signed him again. He had no legs left. He was running like a four nine forty at that point. And McDermott was like, no, it's cool. I'm going to roll with him and Kurt Coleman as safety. And we're going to do a lot of big things on defense. And then the Saints signed him back. That's how well he played. Yeah. That's a coach who understands how to get what that player can give. Mm. And just... So in that way, I look at Kyrie Lim and I say he's the notebook guy. He's the prep junkie. He's he's the first round pick who was supposed to set the world on fire with how prepared he was. He was in the notebook. And then, <laughs> what part? <laughs> the part where he was going, "What do you want?" Except instead of "What do you want?" It's, "Can you just cover someone, please? Can you <laughs> cover someone?" Brandon Bean mentioned him in his postseason press conference. As a guy who grew as a professional over the course of the year. Mm. I'm sorry. If the idea is that they drafted you over these other guys or didn't fight harder for Trent McDuffie when they knew that the Chiefs might make a move, Mm. how Mm. do you (laughs) you look at that and go, yeah, this guy we thought was ultra ready for the NFL, has NFL bloodlines and everything else. He, He wasn't ready. But why do you think that they thought he was ultra ready for the NFL? 
I think the all the conjecture about the preparation and the yeah. the way he preps and the way he does things and mm-hmm. then like, oh wait, we don't he actually had to learn how to prep. Well he I actually think, had to learn I don't know if he necessarily had to learn how to prep and part of this is me speaking with him last week, but I think it was more okay. scheme piece for him and he talked about it as much when we had him on the show last week, like adjusting from and Leslie Frazier talked about it a bunch. It was brought up by every national media guy or local media guy because it was low-hanging fruit. The transition from the type of scheme he was playing at Florida with a lot of man coverage and a lot of press where a lot of times he was the way better athlete against the guy he was covering, depending on who he's playing. Mm-hmm. You know, Even in the SEC where there's top-notch talent, he was the better athlete. Coming from that to having to play more off coverage to having to play more zone coverage to having to play more match coverage it was something that he had to learn and adapt to and he said it as much he said he felt like what game the saturday night game i believe it was against miami where things really finally clicked for him and he he mentioned a point earlier where he started to really put things together but in that miami game he talked about really just trusting his eyes and reading and reacting and trusting what he was seeing i think that's understandable given Given the scheme he came from, having to adjust to that, I don't think Kyrie was drafted because he was necessarily pro-ready or the best corner. I had him a little lower on my board. I didn't even have a first-round grade on him. But depending on the scheme, like the Bills scheme, I think he's the long-term play when you look at the traits, the tools, the pieces, and then the ceiling is so high. Because if you could get him to play at at two-thirds of what Trey White is, all of a sudden you're – and Trey White is still having those types of seasons. Yep. All of a sudden, you're talking about the type of years that you used to see from the Jets when they had Revis. And then you'd look at, oh, who do we have across? Oh, we have Cromartie. And you go, oh, fuck, we can't throw the ball. And you'd be talking about the the blood from the stone piece. There's not a lot of blood in the Dane Jackson stone or the Levi Wallace stone. There's a crap ton of blood in the Kyrie Elam stone. So if he, if Sean McDermott was able, and this is where you play both sides of it, because it's like, well, if he can get so much out of guys, then you can just spend late-round picks yep. or low investment, and then he can get the most out of them. But, but if you the, give him high-end, he bang, can give you high-end results. Bang, and that's extremely exciting. So now they're going to battle it out for the starting cornerback job. But I also think there's a nuance to this that we have to discuss. Because, mm-hmm. again, Chris, like that's going to be the thing that I'm looking at when camp starts. The rotation of these three, just how they're worked in, who's up, who's down. Mm-hmm. But there's also a little bit more to take into account. Now, you... Had the podcast with Kyrie Elam, and he's talking about how the scheme and the system, and it's finally clicking, and mm-hmm. what they're asking me to do. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how much it's going to change, but at the same time, Leslie Frazier's not here. Mm-hmm. This is going to be Sean McDermott's defense, mm-hmm. and you know, you've gone back and watched the Sean. I think you did a podcast a couple weeks ago yeah. about the differences in the Sean McDermott defense from the Leslie Frazier defense. Absolutely. How they're kind of structurally the same if you're looking at it from 50 feet away. Mm. But as you get closer, you realize that there's a lot of nuance there that's different. The mm-hmm. way they create pressure is different. The way the, the, how they rely on pressure becomes mm. different. Definitely. It's no longer coverage to promote pressure. It's, hey, we're going to get pressure in order to help out our coverage. Mm. And there's and he's more aggressive. Absolutely. In terms of how he sends pass rushers. Yes. I, I just think about that. Like, Josh Norman, not the explosive athlete, thrived in that kind of a system. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, do you think that, I mean, I guess, how should we see these guys slotting? Because, again, I'm, I'm sitting here going, Dane Jackson one, probably Elam two, and Benford three, if we're talking about where they're going to line up and how mm-hmm. they're going to see snaps opposite White. Mm-hmm. And White probably won't even practice all that much because they already know what they have in him. Mm-hmm. But with that said, where they are in the pecking order... But does that more aggressive scheme almost favor Elam with his skill set? 
I think it does. I, I think, and, and this is something again. Go watching the tape from the Carolina days, especially that Super Bowl year, and then connecting it to Sean McDermott coming from that Jim Johnson Philadelphia Eagles defensive coordinator tree, and the whole idea of just creating havoc and chaos and dictating to an offense. The, the Bills defense under Leslie Frazier, and it, again, it's hard to fault. I, I understand what happened in the playoffs, but it's hard to fault Frazier to a degree because they've been consistently like a top five defense and a ton of metrics year after year after year. But the idea for a lot of that Bills defense under Frazier was we're going to force you to beat us. You're going to have to be precise over and over and over. Sean McDermott's defenses are more like we're coming after you, and if you beat us, good for you, but we're going to make you earn it hard every single play. It's aggressive, it's fast, it's violent, whether it's you're disguising your coverages, you're disguising your fronts, you're using sub-packages, and also part within that, use a bit more man coverage. And if mm-hmm. we're talking about these three corners, Kyrie Elam fits that piece the best given his skill set, given his traits, given his college experience. I think to your point to like kind of lead this piece off, if we're talking about Sean McDermott leaning a bit more into that Carolina defensive coordinator, Sean McDermott, there is something to be said for, to be said for the safeness that Dane Jackson presents. But talking about Kyrie Elam's skill set, it really starts to pair up well with what McDermott has been previously and what he's looked for in his corners from an attitude standpoint, a skill set standpoint, a frame standpoint, and the types of coverages you can build off of that, which would be one that uses a variety of coverages, a variety of multiplicity and multiple looks on the back end, and dictating to the offense and kind of making you go like, Cool, you might get us, but you got to earn it. Like, you got to cut our throat. You're not going to give death by a thousand cuts. You either cut our head off or we cut off yours. Well, and what I like about this is I go back to it gives you options having a Christian Benford. There's no mm-hmm. problem with him being your reserve cornerback or the Absolutely. guy who's, you know, he's he's active on game days, but he's only seeing a third of the snaps. That's a really good day. corner four. Like, not even to, like, be like a homer. Like, that's no. a really fun option. And the reason I like that, though, is because I used to, like, Teron Johnson, who we're about to talk about briefly before we move on. One of the things I found amazing about the Ravens, Mm. they've been one of my favorite teams for a very long time. Mm. Now, a lot of that goes back to, I think, like every kid who appreciates Smash Mouth football, the 2000 Ravens were your wet dream. Oh, amazing. Anderson, just crushing people. Their offensive line, just... Like their offensive line was just road grade. Jonathan Ogden and then rookie Jamal Lewis are running back and they're just running the ball and they're beating the hell out of you on defense. So pretty. Remember they had Olin Krutz? They did towards the the end of Olin yeah. Krutz was or did, no, they had Matt Burke. Matt Burke? Did they have Olin Krutz? I think I they, had, if, they I had like, I know they had Matt who Burke. Who had Krutz? Because I, I feel like I Krutz feel like was I, a bear for the longest time. I remember him being a bear, and I remember him being one of the dirtiest uh, players in football. And I wow, remember really? Burke being Oh no, he was constantly voted by his team, by other really? NFL I didn't know this. Krutz was voted one of the dirtiest players ever. I did not know that. The guy from the Bears? Yes, yeah. that's Olin Krutz right there. Olin you know, Krutz. You know what I remember him from? Uh oh. Getting fired. Cheaper by the dozen. No, I'm just kidding. Getting fired from his TV gig. <laughs> he had a TV gig? Oh, yeah. And I wonder if it says it here in his... Uh... Scroll up. Who did he play for? He Bears. played for no, the Bears. I guess, he, I guess he didn't play for him. Yeah, look at this. I guess it... Yeah. Uh, but he married his high school sweetheart. Oh, yeah. He physically assaulted uh, an employee for uh, NBC Sports Chicago. Wow. And he got fired. Yeah, that sounds like the guy. Oh, he was on NBC Sports Chicago. I did not know any of this. Olin Krutz was one of the closest things to uh, 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 Dobler. 
Conrad Dobler for the Bills. Wow. Okay. Who admitted, like, he's like, oh, no, I'd put pepper sauce in my gloves before games. Uh, he goes, I'd jab people in the eyes. He goes, I've oh. bit people in the calf in piles before. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. That's, and, and Olin Cruz That's the was only way I know this guy's name is, is him getting fired from I've his TV never, job. I did not know your point about him being, like, a dirty player and, like, recognizes that. I didn't, and I did not know Chris's point about yeah. him getting yeah, fired. It turns out you didn't know Olin Kruitz. Yeah. Wow. And apparently I thought he played for the Ravens just because he was so physical and dirty. This guy was the best man in my wedding. So the thing is, the thing is, they they manhandled people. But the way that they were able to play cornerback and defense has always made me a Ravens fan. And I've Mm. been a Ravens fan throughout the last 20 years, Mm. 20 some years of my life. I I just find myself pulling for them. I don't have any animosity. They're one of those few teams where when I look at them, if we weren't, whenever we were obviously out of it during the drought, I'd root for them. Do you know that I've also done this? Okay, so I did a podcast with uh, Ravens Film Study where he was doing like a one-play series. Ken McCusick. Ken McCusick from Ravens Film Study had me on. And he goes, this is weird because we're this guy isn't a Ravens person. He's a Bills fan, but yeah. he has a Ravens play. He can tell me time and setting. He knows what he was drinking that day. It's one of the, his favorite plays of football in his entire life. It was the opening play to Ravens Patriots in Foxborough Ray Rice. where Ray Rice House houses it. it. House and it. it's because of the offensive line just mowing down their entire second level. That's I remember. <laughs> I remember. So, so Ed Reed is my favorite player of all time. And I also loved Terrell Suggs. And the same, it was easy at that time as like a Bills fan. By week six, no Ray you're Lewis like, love? huh? No Ray Lewis love. I do, but he not as much. Well, he as, murdered people. Eh, eh people stink. Um, not people, as much as people, Suggs people, and, and listen. Reed people are overrated. Here's what I'll say about Ray Lewis: the story that again, one of those stories where I go, "This is why I like this guy." Flacco's rookie year, he throws an interception, and it was not his first, but it was one of his first, and it was in a clutch moment in the game, and he was uh-huh. just like, he's telling the story, I think it was like NBC, no, not NBC Sports, but it was some outlet. He was telling it to Olin Cruz. <laughs> he was telling it to Olin Cruz. But he's telling it, and he goes, I threw the pick, and I knew it was bad, and I felt horrible about it. Uh-huh. Like, ah, f- I-, I fucked us. Yeah. And Ray Lewis comes up to him and goes, don't worry, dog, I got you. And goes out there, yeah. and on the very next play, just blows up the tight end who takes a three-yard pass on a like a leak, lights this guy up, and he fumbles the ball, and he scoops it, and then he comes back, and he goes, "I'm excited, like, oh my god, I get." He's like, "I'm," he's cro- he's like, "I'm crossing myself up." I'm like, "Oh, thank God, you saved me, whatever." Yeah. And he's walking back out there on the field with his helmet, and Ray Ray Lewis comes up to him with the football still. And jams it into his chest and goes, oh now do something with it. <laughs> and he's like, I, I had to go score a touchdown now because I don't have a choice. That guy just told me, like, you got your one. Yeah. Now fucking. That's g- it. G- that's and a good story. That's a leader. Yeah, absolutely. That's a leader of men. Absolutely. I love that guy. And absolutely. I love that team. What I always loved about them from a cornerback perspective lately, mm. here recently, when mm. they had Jimmy Smith, mm. and then they brought in Marlon Humphrey, mm-hmm. and then they, you just watch them cycle through cornerbacks, and what they recently were able to do is it was like this battleship. You saw it in the Bills playoff game. Mm. They were able to match up with us at wide receiver really well because they had three big physical cornerbacks and then also Marcus Peters. Mm. They had this smaller but elite coverage guy and then also just two bangers Mm. and then an all-pro. We could field that if someone went to a dime look if you have Christian Benford, Kyrie Lim, Dane Jackson, and Trey White active on game day. 
Yeah, you can never have enough corner depth. And I find that the, the, the parallels to the Ravens, that's very interesting with you connecting the dots on that piece. And if, I like the ability to have big physical cornerbacks who can rough up wide receivers who are used yes. to getting off the blocks quickly. You say, guess what? We'll smother you. We'll play yeah. press. Guess what? Our guys can do it. Throw off timing all day. And then if you pair that with a front that's able to get to the quarterback, now all of a sudden receivers routes are off by a half a second and that's all you need to extend the quarterback's drop from two seconds to 2.5 or 2.5 to 3 and Von Miller can get there or Greg Rousseau can get there or Leonard Floyd or one of the interior guys. And at the same time, based on what we preach and what they know and what they're taught, mm. you can also pivot and go, hey, we're going to show you press and then play zone. Absolutely. Bail and now you have to figure this out. Yeah. We have options. Yes. Isn't that the best thing the Buffalo Bills could ask for at this point? Play rock, paper, scissors. That's my one of my huge philosophies with football. Like if you're playing rock, paper, scissors, you need to be able to throw rock, paper, and scissors. If your best throw is rock, that's cool. And if you throw rock and someone else is throwing scissors, you win. If they throw rock, it's rock against rock, and maybe you win. But what happens when you play those teams that throw paper? you got to switch it up. You have to be able to throw scissors. And if you can't, it's not guaranteed that you're going to lose, but it's real tough sledding. And that's been a big problem with the Bills' defense these past several years when they get into those playoff matchups. They just play zone. Yes, and they, they just their, their get versatility fucked up. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Speaking of getting fucked up, here's a guy, Teron Johnson. Real quick, what do you think losing Tremaine Edmonds means to him? Oh, that's a very good question. Because I'm sitting here thinking about this. Everyone goes, well, we know what we have in Trey White. We know what we have in all of our cornerbacks, so they mm -hmm. should be good. Well, and I don't want to make too much of this because, again, you had guys like Sharice Wright playing mm -hmm. cornerback for you in 2017 when the Bills were a playoff contender, mm -hmm. right? Like, we snuck in, mm -hmm. but that roster was awful. It shouldn't have made the playoffs. Could have beat the Jags, too. Couldn't beat the Jags. That Jags team that... Probably should have gone to the Super Bowl. They were one third and twenty completion Chris, to Julian Edelman away from the Jags going to the Super Bowl. Chris, remember when I got hammered and picked them to win it again the next year? Mm -hmm. I go, oh no, they're going to the Super Bowl next year. Fucking yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what happens when you get hammered. You start trusting the Jaguars. That's how you, that should be. That should be the roadside sobriety test. The moment you go, you know what? Jacksonville's going to the Super Bowl. All right, sir. Just just put the cuffs on. Get in the car. All right, guy. You're hammered. Get in the car. You're hammered. Get in the car. Um. So when I look at this, Teron Johnson. Mm -hmm. I think for, he's a small guy, but he plays a very physical brand of football. Absolutely. He's been very good. There's a yes. reason he's the second highest paid cornerback on the team. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that he's also, or I shouldn't say problem. It's the, it's the big unknown. Hmm. He's never had to be without Tremaine Edmonds. Hmm. So if you think about what that means for him personally, 
when he's doing this thing of like, hey, Tremaine Edmonds drafted in 2018. Mm-hmm. Immediately thrown into the fire. Mm-hmm. Teron Johnson drafted... 2019? So he's had a linebacker with Jeez. size, speed, physicality in space, at mm-hmm. least. And when you have that, your job gets easier when the guy's 6'5 and he has the range of a safety. Mm. What happens to him if the middle linebacker pick doesn't go well? Ooh, that's a fair question. It's going to change how they have to deploy Teron Johnson. His role is going to change. And all of a sudden, that $9 million, you go, fuck. He was good when he had this complimentary piece. I just hope that that can continue. Hmm. I just question, again, if you're talking about aggressiveness in terms of pass rush, that's going to mean more linebackers in the box, more linebackers hmm. in the A-gap. Hmm. Even if it, even if they bail out, mm-hmm. you're still not in a position to shade over and help, help that slot corner. Hmm. So in that way, if that's the idea is we're going with a more aggressive defensive model and you don't have this six foot five Ferrari at linebacker, mm. then I believe that there's nowhere for his job to go but to get harder. Mm. I think that's a fair point. I mean, when you lose, despite the fact of you know how much of a lightning rod he's been for criticism and praise, I guess, to a degree on the other side with Tremaine Edmonds, but that defense as a whole is going to have to overcome the loss of Tremaine Edmonds. They're going to have to find a way to mitigate the hole that he leaves behind. But I think Tyron Johnson is so... He's very he's very sound in this scheme and in this role. I truly believe he's one of the best nickel corners in the NFL. I put him up there with Mike Hilton. I put him up there with Kenny Moore. It depends on what kind of scheme and system you're running. But the way he's able to play the game and function as a linebacker in the box at times, despite his size, and then what, he's, what he can do in coverage and man and zone, despite the fact that he had a bit of a down year last year... With the coverage schemes they play, I think it will get harder for him to a degree, just like it will for everyone. But I don't know. I think it impacts more of the coverages they play on the back end from a safety standpoint. I think you see more single high looks. I think you see more cover three where you've got a buzz safety or that sky safety coming down in either Poyer and or Hyde. And you're playing those type of cover three looks because you can't lean into as many two high looks or Tampa two or quarters where you're having Tremaine Edmonds carry the number three receiver or the number two. Can I show you this real quick? You can. So that's Spotrack.com. Teron Johnson is the 14th highest cap hit among all cornerbacks. Mm. Not just slot corners, all corners. He's very good. Which tells you that they think he's very good. He is. I mean, it, it's hard, despite the fact at times where it's hurt them a bit when they haven't gone with base personnel and gone with three linebackers. Yeah. His ability to live in the light and the dark and give you the coverage ability that he has while also being able to click and close and play the Mm -hmm. run it's the reason they're able to stay in nickel the majority of the time and yes there has been times where that's been to their detriment but on the whole that look has been tremendously strong for this bills team especially in today's nfl given the nature of passing offenses what teams are trying to do when you have a guy who can match up with some bigger body dudes, match up with smaller guys, and then still fit the run like he does, I think Taron Johnson is one of the most important players on the entire Buffalo Bills defense, given the role that he plays. And also, part of that is also, too, what you have behind him, which is nothing that invokes confidence. Oh, you know that's what? what we pivot to. Wait, uh, oh, Thank God, because I was about to get to that. It's like, And that's how we replace... Trey Edmonds, can we get to linebacker? So that brings me to linebacker with a cap allocation of just nineteen point six million, which cap percentage is only eight point six. And if you want to talk about comps around the league, mm. we're number twenty two in spending 
right, at the linebacker position. Mm-hmm. And that's only because Spotrack still counts Leonard Floyd as a linebacker. So if you stupid. take his, it's stupid, but so if you take his salary out of there, eight of Buffalo's nine remaining linebackers on the roster make less than 1% of the cap per player. See, you're a math guy. Well, I'm a numbers guy. I work with yeah. money. Makes sense. Yeah. He also doesn't wear a hat. I was going to make that joke. I like that you did it. Well done. That's a nice tag team effort. <laughs> I hate the both of you. That's a good Nick and Matt Jackson right there. A little Young Buck action right there. Uh, they're they're a tag team in AEW. They're really good. They're one of the best they've been that way for a while. You know. You love wrestling. Yeah. They're also good on trampolines. Absolutely. Just like true. I always wonder, like, what goes to the mind of somebody who commits arson? And I'm like, no, I get it. No, I understand. They were probably sitting in this room right here so at some point in their life. They were where I am right now. I almost I almost did that uh, yesterday. Committed arson? Yeah. Wow. Here. Wow. Because we we were. Wait, you do know that arson isn't the intentional, right? Like it's not accidental setting of a fire. Yeah. Like, yeah. You yeah. almost committed arson. Like you wanted to set it's something. The, you fire. looked around the room and yeah. was like, "Fuck this place! I've had it!" And you just went and got what? the gas can. Where's what, the matches? What it was is so up. Like you went full Chris Benoit almost. Oh, oh, too, oh that's right. Stones. I know wrestling references. That's still bad. That, yeah, that's not. A, that's not a good no. So uh, you know, last week you know we had Jay's Artisan Pizza brought to you by Franny and Brendan. Brendan had his neck surgery this morning. Hmm. Successful? So, uh, so far, so good. Oh! They, they dropped their new... They got a new dog this week hmm. and then had to pawn it off on us to babysit because Brendan's in the hospital, all that nonsense. So we're watching the dog. I had a game, a hockey game at 6 last night. I come home. The dog's here. The dog has, like, a standalone, like... On its on legs, it yeah. has its own bed, like a like a carrying okay case. And I saw it, and I told Jessica, I was like, "Okay, now my man instincts are telling me to set this on fire." Wow! Right now, that no dog should have its own like carrying bed. Wow, I got real dark real quick. Yeah, so I was like, my brain is telling me set this on fire right now. A dog should not have this. That's a real life arson thought. See, right now there. here's the thing: what I would, you should watch my dog. Oh, oh, that's inside no. baseball. We're not talking about that on the podcast. Oh, no. That's a really <laughs> good send, joke. I'm going to send my dog over here. He can watch. That's so, brutal. <laughs> that's brutal. <laughs> yes. So, moving on, we have nine total bodies at linebacker and only one starter. I've heard the point made before that there is no perfect NFL roster. This is something that Greg Thompson and I fight about constantly. Mm. Every roster has a weakness because you're picking your poison. You yeah. as a coach and as a GM are picking how you want your team to be strong. And you're just saying, listen, we are going to choose to be soft here, here, and here. Because we think our coaching aptitudes can make up for that. Mm. We think that these are the things we can paper over with our own scheme, nuance, mm. our coaching, whatever have you. So with it in mind, it, it'll be on Sean McDermott to navigate this loss of Tremaine Edmonds that we're talking about here. Absolutely. They, they still have Matt Milano. Mm-hmm. They were a playoff team in 2017 with a dog shit defensive line and Preston Brown is our starting linebacker. Fair. So I, I just want to say that I believe in the staff mm-hmm. to come up with something. Yes. Is it Super Bowl caliber, though? I don't know. And the problem is, is that you're doing this at a point where, like, I really thought they were going to pay Tremaine Edmonds just because... They're that close to the window now. Mm. 
I didn't think that they would choose to let him walk, but then when you see the money you got, you go, fuck. All right, well, you couldn't contend with that. I wanted the Bills to keep him 1,000%. I also don't think he should have been paid what he got paid. Like, he got put into the Roquan Smith, Fred Warner, Darius Leonard, or Shaquille Leonard, I should say now, type of tier in terms of money, and he's not that. He could be that because he's only 12 years old, but it's just... Yeah, he. I, I, I understand why you wouldn't pay him that. He got paid ridiculous money. So before we address the elephant in the room, I've got two lightning round style questions. First of all, what the fuck is A.J. Klein doing here? Um, when I look at this roster, I say to myself, his role has diminished every single season since 2019 mm-hmm. on every team he's played for. Mm-hmm. He hasn't graded positively in any fact of the game since the fastest of the game since 2021. Mm-hmm. He has always been bad in coverage. Mediocre at best, but you're a Sam linebacker. Nobody asks you mm-hmm. to be a star in coverage. Mm-hmm. You'd have to play the run and mm-hmm. pass rush. Mm-hmm. That Seahawks game, he had the best oh. game of his career. Blitzing every snap. But that's because they were just like, listen, see ball, get ball. Just that's go do the yeah. thing. Just go forward. Do not be out here on the edge because Russell Wilson will pick on you mm-hmm. with tight ends, running backs out of the backfield. I do not want that, so fuck it. Go get him. He's unlimited. And last year, he missed 30% of his tackle attempts. There weren't many because he wasn't on the field much, but he missed him. Why is he here? Other than just, hey, I know that guy and I want to give him a job for the summer. Mm. Like, is this not nepotism, but is it Chris? Chris, is this one of those things where, like, when you see somebody who's down on their luck and you're like, ah, fuck. Oh, wow. I'll, I'll hire that guy, I guess. He can cut my grass. I guess I'll give him five bucks so he can mow my lawn. No. <laughs> I would not give a... 14-year-old child, 20 bucks to cut the lawn. That's right. You do it yourself. I do it myself. That's right. I, uh, it's a self-respecting man right there. I pay a lawn service. Really? Yeah. Money, money. Really? I'm Ted DiBiase over here now. That's money, Who's Ted DiBiase? Money, 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 money. Who's that? Was he uh, a Bill? Uh, yeah, he was a Bills player. Really? What yeah. position? Uh, I don't know, but he owner. wore a, he wore a tux. <laughs> owner. He nice. Wore, oh, my nice. God. <laughs> nice. Holy shit. Nice. All Episode right. over. Nowhere to go but down. Yeah, there's nowhere Done. to go Cut but it. down. Slice it all. Burn the room down. There's nowhere to go but down. It's over. Burn it down. Start that over. might be Chris's finest moment on any podcast ever. That was very Tr- good. I, trust me, it'll get better. So, so she said. AJ Klein, why is he here? I think a veteran presence in the room and in the position group. What is which this, I, hockey? Which I think is legitimate. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Teach their own. I think it's a legitimate piece, especially considering how many young guys they have on the team from a snap share perspective and just an overall experience perspective. Like Terrell Bernard's going yeah. into his second year. I like the familiarity he has with a pro-ready scheme coming from Dave Aranda's defense in Baylor, but he's still green in terms of well, his experience, and, and, and Dorian Williams is even... Well, let's talk about this in a second, but first of all, address AJ Klein. Can we just fart on the idea of him being... Can can I do that? Can I do a healthy... I think it, if, he, done with this? if he's playing something I see people sideways. bitching about him on social media. Oh, AJ Klein's going to do that. The fuck he is. He him- had, he, and against Detroit, he had a couple really good run defense reps. But again, you don't want him in coverage, and if they're going to keep playing the same type of defense that they've played, you can't live with AJ Klein on the field where he's one of your two linebackers and you're asking him to. I can't in live with AJ like Klein that. anyway. Uh, also, and in any way, here's a here's a question: uh, Do you ever get frustrated that the team continues to prioritize roster spots for special teams players? 
Oh. Uh, Tyler Manikevich is holding down a spot in our linebacker court. It's a position that needs as many bodies who might give you something as possible. Mm. Like, I don't give a fuck that he's Reed Ferguson's best friend, Chris. I don't care. Oh, no, Dirty Red. Oh, me and him. He's, that's my best friend. Reed, I love you. Fuck that guy and his beard. Wow. Okay? Now that I said that, I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling a kind of way. Wow. What I know is, is that even though his salary isn't prohibitive... I do not like the idea that you have a guy on your roster who is going to be on the field every single Sunday is active in your linebacker core. And at the same time, he can't take a live snap for you on defense with any sort of confidence. You couldn't mm-hmm. go, hey, even as a third string option, if two guys get hurt in the same game, I could throw Medikevich out there. The fuck you can? He he's, did once and it went horribly. He's dirty red. Yeah, he's dirty right. Damn. Shave that fucking beard. You look terrible. You're wow. with re, some, a lot some, of hate. I don't like beards. I think what? beards are lame. Why? If you let them, that's get a out very of, weird thing to hate. You're you like George get, Steinbrenner or Lou Lamarillo. If you let them get wow. out of control, I'm not a fan. I think you got to tame that thing. Wow. Got to comb it. Wow. If you if you have an unkempt beard, yeah, Kyle Washington. I'm talking to you. <laughs> I was not expecting this conversation to go in this direction. No. What I'm saying is, in my athletes, I just want them to carry more value if you're here on the roster, and I just don't feel like we're getting it with Medikevich. And it bothers me that they continue to do this, which leads me Mm. to the middle linebacker discussion, and I Mm. want to start it off with two questions. First Mm. of all, I want to know your personal reaction to the selection of Dorian Williams. When it happened, what was your knee-jerk reaction? We were live on the cover one network doing the draft that night for night two rounds two and three. And he was about to get picked. And I got asked, what do you not want to see here? And I forget the other thing that I said, but I said, I don't want the bills to do this. And I don't want the bills to draft Dorian Williams (laughs) and the bills draft Dorian Williams. And it's not necessarily anything against, against him. And Brandon Bean said a lot of the things that gave me trepidation when it came to him as a player. I, I saw all this hype and love for him uh, on Twitter because he's a fun highlight guy and a splash guy. Like, he's got speed, he's got some burst, he's got some arm length, but he comes from a very basic, simplistic defensive scheme that has a lot of spot drop. There's not a lot of pattern matching. He showed it every once in a while and carried some tight ends downfield, and it was a nice, fun piece. You're talking about the Big 12 in general? No, he's in whatever Tulane Chris, is in the con- Chris, conference. He's not USA. even in. The, he's not even in the Ooh. big league. So is it the AAC. Oh yeah, maybe that's what, exactly what it is. So he's playing Memphis and he's playing Houston. And no disrespect to some of those guys, Houston had a guy Tank Dell who I love. I don't care that he's small. I don't know um, if you know the vibe of this podcast. I'll disrespect everybody and anybody. Uh, <laughs> you? No, I don't believe it. And he just, I my my issue with, I wanted to get a linebacker in the draft that I thought that could contribute right now in 2023. And I don't think Dorian Williams is that guy. Now, I think he legitimately has a chance to be that guy potentially long-term. But doing that in back-to-back years, after doing a similar thing with Terrell Bernard last year, and there were some other guys on the board who I wanted. Now, my qualms have been lessened a bit with the addition of Puna Ford and the addition of Leonard Floyd. So some of the guys who I wanted were defensive line reinforcements at that spot when the Bills took Dorian Williams. But I just felt he was a bit of a developmental guy, which I think he is. I think he could be a Mike or a Will. Um, Probably lean into that Mike piece. Again, I recognize the traits and the tools, but he's more of a developmental piece. I don't think he's somebody that, in order to contribute in 2023, he either has to have the most amazing camp 
to a degree, or everyone else kind of falls off the rails in or a negative way. Or goes so the way of the Oregon Trail and everybody else gets dysentery. I was just saying, yeah. And so he's not an off-the-bus starter. No. And I don't think anybody would. This was a this was a linebacker class. Doug Whaley callback. I love nice. it. There, this linebacker class was already a very weak position group in a weak draft overall from top to bottom. And he was still like a second or third tier linebacker in this class. So if you're a second tier guy in a class that's already bad, that's not ideal. And so what are you getting from that? And I, I recognize people had him in different ways. If we were gonna, and also if we were gonna lean developmental. Granted, he got taken before Dorian Williams went. I would have rather had Demarion Overshone from Texas. I said it. I was pace. like, please give me Overshone. He's at least something. He's big. He's physical. He's fast. He's not. He's a, he he's he's what this idea of theirs where they're like we'll just take blocks of stone and try to carve me into a football player and, and you and you you had that in some ways with and Dorian I feel like Williams. that was the Cowboys kind of getting us back for Dalton Kincaid that's a fair point and he gets to stay home in Texas and to see how he develops there now he was going to have to have a developmental cycle sure. to a degree as well but, but I so just, but so I like the fact that you said do not draft this guy and then they drafted him I think that yeah. speaks volumes so then I also need to know. What was your reaction then, knowing now? I want to hear what it was then and how you think now, because mm-hmm. Brandon Bean said this after, like, the first wave of free agency. I mean, sometimes your your answer is on your roster, and so we think, you know, Tyrell, you know, getting Dotson back on, on a one-year, you know, him. Obviously, we had the two draft picks last year and Bernard and Spectre. They're, they've been in our program a year. They're going to be a lot more prepared for the pro game and, and our defensive system going in. So, you know, it's it's a competition, and we'll continue to look whether that's cap casualties, free agencies. Um, if there's a player in the draft, um, it'll be competition. We're not going to, you know, state now or probably next month or in two months this person's the starter. They're all going to get a chance to compete, and best man wins. As Brandon Bean from a press conference earlier this offseason, I would like to state this, Anthony. I know you giggling over hearing that audio, but now <laughs> well, to me, I now that the I think that was before the draft. It was so now that the draft happened and all of the things happened. Bean sounds like Vince McMahon in July of 96 doing an interview. He was like, oh, I know Kevin Nash went to WCW, but we have Glenn, De- Glenn Jacobs to play Diesel right here. <laughs> we got we our can, own Diesel. Yeah, we, have, we can just recycle... We can just recycle that character. We've got Glenn yeah, Jacobs. It's the gimmick. The yeah. gimmick is what drives the character. Yeah. So now here's the question. Is the answer to... Is the path that they've chosen here that like we're just going to have a gimmick at middle linebacker? Oh, that's a really good question. Nice wrestling take as well. I, I, I think for that, especially for the – I've heard this quote talked about a bunch, and I remember hearing it. I also think part of that is just gamesmanship from his standpoint. Like he's not going to get on the podium at that piece mm. and be like, our guys suck, and no. we're looking towards the draft. But then there was players who I was like, well, that guy could play that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy. You could sign him for a one-year deal mm-hmm. for less than $6 million. They did try to get Levante David. They did try to get Levante David, who I would have gladly that taken. makes me but, feel better. But he said – Levante David said – 
he was reached out to by the Bills, but he had already made the decision to come back to Tampa. It was a little late in the process. Great. So good, good, good luck with your season. Fair enough. But Dick again, it. some of it may be Dick. that. I, in Damn, fact, now I'm, now I'm rooting again. I was going to say, now I want you to now, fail now so hard. Th- that's it. I'm getting the notebook. I'm Ryan in the office, and I have my notebook out, and I go, oh, Levante, yeah, David, that fuck gift, that guy. Just writes it down. <laughs> it, I, I think some of this also could be a potential scheme and schematic change under Sean McDermott. If they're leaning into different pieces with their defense as a whole and a more attacking style and less of a pure rush four, drop seven into coverage, two high looks where you need that middle linebacker to be able to match and carry number three receivers and tight ends vertically and all those pieces. If they're leaning away from that, that could lean into a Dorian Williams or a Terrell Bernard or a Balin Specter piece. You just said so. So you did what Bean just did on my podcast, which is invoke the name Balin Specter. Well, you have to. That guy will never be starting for the Bucks. I don't. Chris Seagram's bet. Balin (laughs) Specter never starts a game at linebacker for the Bucks. But is that that much of a take? Like, there's so many other linebackers. Like the odds of him starting versus the field. Like it heavily favors the field. Whether or not how good he is. Understandably, I'm not saying I'm not advocating. What I'm mad about is the idea that our GM comes out here. And invokes his name during talking about but the, the thing. But these and guys go, are on his team. He's Chris, not going to shit on them. Chris, we have that drop, right? We don't have it queued up, but it's, hey, Brandon, how dumb do you think I am? Brandon, you don't get to tell me Balin Specter might be the guy. Uh, you don't get to tell me. But he can, and that's fine if you want to read between the lines, and I think it's fair to a degree, but he's not going to come out and be like, oh, well, Brandon, who do you think can start? Well, it's these two guys, hey, and it's Brandon. not Balin. How dumb do you think I am? <laughs> That's there it is. Is, I, I feel like he's talking about the movie Dodgeball, where he's like, "Hey, we." He goes, "Oh, your best players, are, your best player is a girl." He goes, "Honestly, we don't know." No, oh, your he best, says, your best player thinks he's a pirate. He goes, hey, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know who our best player is yet. That's us talking about our middle linebacker thing. We've got one guy who might be a safety. We've got three guys who are probably career special teamers, and you're telling me that somewhere out of there. If you want to, tomorrow I'm getting my hair cut. Hmm. Balin Spector's girlfriend gets her hair cut at the same place I go to. Wow. So Ask for I fucking hate you. I'll, I'll see if I can get some uh, inside info That's on that. sweet drop there. But he, he's not going to, again, he's not going to, he's not going to talk down about anybody on the roster. Like, that's just But then he didn't go try to add anybody because he goes, well, yeah, like, he did you do Dorian that. Williams. He added Dorian Williams. But again, because he, cause he added the, Glenn Jacobs. But here, nice. Here's the piece, though, too, right? You don't know how the draft board is going to fall. So say, for example, say they wanted Jack Campbell or say they wanted Trenton Simpson or whatever linebacker that anybody was infatuated with. The odds of that one specific player falling to you is low. So what happens if you have this other guy earmarked and you say, you know, we don't think we don't think our answer's on the roster right now because in the back of your mind, or if you want to say, you know, we're looking towards the draft, what happens if the board doesn't fall your way? Guess what? Now you're stuck with those guys that you just publicly said you don't have faith and confidence in. They heard that. The media heard that. Now they come back to you after the draft and they go, hey, Brandon, you said you were looking towards the draft to get a linebacker. Now you didn't get any. So what are you going to do with all the pieces of shit you got left on your (laughs) roster? And then he's going, well, we're kind of fucked. Like, you got to hedge your bets. No, he does that thing like Rick and Morty. It's one of my favorite scenes in a, in a. It might be one of my favorite scenes in a TV show ever, because Rick's talking about how do you topple a galactic empire, and he was just they're like, and his grandkids are like, ah, oh, you, you're gonna, it's a nuclear device. And then he goes, no, and he just a couple button clicks, and then it's their central currency, and he just changes the value to zero. 
their money's worth nothing. And they, they all come running into the office and they're talking about, well, who, who, who's going to do this? Somebody, people are rioting in the streets. We'll assemble an army, but how are we going to pay them? Yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, well, how are we going to pay them? What do we have? So they're all yelling. And the guy, the guy who's, the, who's supposed to be the president goes, gentlemen, I believe there's an option that you, that, that, <laughs> there's an option here we're not seeing. And then he pulls a pistol out of the truck, yeah. shoots himself in the head. He's like, I'm fucking done with this. I feel like that's what would happen if you had yeah. said that. It would have just You're been out. a run on Brandon Bean's office, and he would have had to jump out the window. It's been like, hey, uh, I've got your answer right here. Yeah. Uh, and how do, you, how do you tell your linebackers who your GM just was like, I don't have confidence in any of you guys. Now they got to come into the meeting room and be like, Sweet, now he's stuck with one of us. It just it just leads you down a path that you don't want to be on. You so, made me feel a little. T- t- well, but I will say this: in an effort to try to find where this, because I'll tell you what, if you if you listen to some people, like there's some moron on Twitter called the Sports Bully, like oh. the the Sports Bully. Yeah, he's fucking hilarious. Uh, Chris, he's <laughs> remember when he said that Tremaine Edmonds could be seamlessly replaced by Andre Smith Jr. Yes, and then he would make more really? plays if the coaching staff wasn't so blind. <laughs> I knew that we'd get there. <laughs> Why are we here? Why are we to, here? Teach their, I'm very much a teach their own kind of guy. If you choose to, you know, follow whatever path that you choose to follow, to each their own. But that's very foolish. I, I feel like that's the type of thing you say and then someone runs out and pants you. Like, no, that's the thing. As soon as the show is done, I'm like, fuck that guy. Who is this? <laughs> so with that in mind, like that was a thing that was said, right? Mm. And obviously that's laughable, but there's there's such a dearth of experience here that I am a little concerned. Mm-hmm. So when you're for handicapping this, mm. just to kind of bring this whole conversation around, I look at the, I look, Chris. Go go back go go back to the depth chart over there on our lights. I look at this, and Terrell Bernard is the quote unquote safe option, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, everything that you've seen from him on the playing field and also everything in his makeup, his draft scouting, everything, says he's a weak side linebacker. So now what mm-hmm. you've done is you've... So by putting him on the field, what you are doing is committing to a broader change in the way you're going to... I mean, they're going to have to change. We've already talked mm-hmm. about that. Absolutely. But this idea that you've now put two weak side linebackers on the field instead of having a true Mike. And weak is not a good word. And, well, not weak, but also no, just his ability to... His ability to come down and take on a guard, I don't trust that. He's very small, like for a linebacker, 220-something pounds. We've accumulated small linebackers, Hmm. and that was okay. Like, here's my fear. My nightmare scenario is that teams figure out, hey, Matt Milano, for being 220 pounds, is very good. Mm -hmm. Tremaine Edmonds was 255 pounds at 6'5". We sent res- we dedicated resources to trying to get him off his spot. Mm-hmm. We no longer have to do that. Mm. So now it's to your point. They brought in Puna Ford. They bring in Leonard Floyd. They bring in they 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 kept Jordan Phillips. Yep. They done they did all these things to beef up the defensive line in order to keep those smaller linebackers that they kept around exposed, mm-hmm. like from getting exposed in, mm-hmm. in rushing. But it's not going to be perfect. No. And when those guys get to the second level. You need to have somebody who can hold their own, and the problem is, is we don't have many. And I think that's where the schematic piece comes in. I, the the best option for the Bills to mitigate the loss of Tremaine Edmonds is Sean McDermott, and the schematic piece and what he's going to do. If we're handicapping it, I do think Terrell Bernard. Like if if the Bills are playing a game right now, I'm starting Terrell Bernard. I think he is. He's 
above average at enough of the pieces. There's no one area other than the size potentially where mm-hmm. he's deficient. Like, and, and if you're looking at everybody else on the roster, granted, Balin Spector is tremendously unproven, but there's some vulnerability with him in coverage. You have vulnerability <laughs> in coverage with Tyrell Dotson. Drew's favorite guy, A.J. Klein, has vulnerability in coverage as well. And Dorian Williams comes from a very, very, very simplistic scheme at Tulane where they were just spot dropping. And for those who don't know, that's your Madden defense, where your job is on the snap, you know, you're the linebacker, you're lined up at five yards on the snap, you drop to 11 yards, and you sit in your hook curl zone, and you sit and you look for somebody to come to your zone. Yep. That's what he did at Tulane. That is not how the NFL works. Nope. That is not how the Bills' defense works. Now, that doesn't mean he can't come in and pick it up, and he's cruising. But if we watch some of the, the minicamp, and practice footage thus far this offseason, he's been getting coached up on how to pass off and how to pick up and what he's supposed to do, so and that I think means, that's natural. And if they're doing that with him, it means that they're not comfortable with what he's doing on the field. Yeah, or he, he, needs he a, just needs to get... I mean, he needs a refresher because he's a young kid and he's learning. Yes. So anybody who's like, well, Dorian Williams is going to come in and do... I wouldn't put... I'm, I feel better about that Seagram's bet. Him starting over Balen Spector. Yeah, I agree. So with that in mind... You've basically nixed most of the linebacker depth chart right there. Yeah. So now we're we're here talking about Tyrell Dodson probably. No. But here's the problem. You no. don't like it, but there's a world where they Absolutely go. Absolutely there is. There is a world where Tyrell Dodson is your option. And the problem is we already know what that looks like. He's We've whoever seen... played Razor Ramon. Yeah, he's the, the fake Razor Ramon. Holy shit, ah! I remember that. Because Razor Ramon was what Scott Hall was one of my guys as a kid. Razor Ramon. Ah! I remember the first time. I remember the first time I threw a toothpick in my brother's face, and my mother just screamed at me. Rick Bogner. <laughs> Rick Bogner. I don't remember this. You don't remember the, the fake... I definitely rape. remember fake Diesel. He was with... They were like a tag team. Yeah, no. When, wow. the, when those two left, they had fake... They, they had fake... Well, apparently the guy that played him is dead, so... Oh. This took a turn again. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know... Wow, he has a lot... He has a heart large attack. Wikipedia page. Yeah. Why? Wow, he has a long wrestling career. Look at all the promotions. He he was in ECW, too. Wait, hang on. Was he 500 pounds in that photo? He was in Wrestling Romance, just like Drew. Yeah, he, well, he, looks, <laughs> he looks bloated. <laughs> oh, shit. God. <laughs> all right, guys. So Weird that we, we got... See, look at that. There's fake... The fake, both of them? Yeah. Oh, my God. I remember God. fake Diesel. A thousand percent. Glenn Jacobs, a.k.a. Kane. I, oh, and I do know that picture. That is wild. I forgot this existed. <laughs> That is hilarious. Big Titan, formerly fake Razor Ramon. Holy shit. Vince McMahon sucks. And you know what? Brandon Bean sucks for doing this to us. Wow. I love that guy. Mm. I love that guy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to sports bully or Charlie Gross this thing. I'm going (laughs) to leave it at that. I I know you know who that is. I'm going to leave it at this. I'm not mad at our GM for leaving us in this position, but right now we have a lot of we have more questions than answers at this position. Absolutely. And the problem is is that when you look at what you have in the stable, it's not even like there's a good answer in the competition where you're going, hey, we've got this young option, but he's big and he's physical and he's fast and he can maybe learn the playbook. You don't even have that. What you have is AJ Klein, who by football standards is so old he could fart dust. Wow, you hate him. You've got Terrell Dodson, who is a known quantity. He is a great, he's a decent backup and an okay special teamer who you could probably upgrade from at any point in time during the season Mm. off someone else's practice squad and get the same guy. Mm. And I don't know, upgrade. Upgrade's not, uh, that's strong. But a a comparable player. A comparable player. Fair. 
Trevin Howard, like what yeah. the fuck is he? It, it doesn't matter. Um, Dorian Williams, great, wonderful. You're here, and they're, he goes, oh well. You'll, Bean says he'll earn a jersey as a special teams player. Wonderful. You've done this again. The thing that it's, it's not special in the name. It means I'm it's gonna, important. So before I commit actual arson here in the studio, I got to stop talking to this linebacker thing. I have one Just know it's my. It's the thing that concerns me the most. If there was a final statement, you could close it. I'll give you the closing of the podcast. Oh, wow. What would you say to someone who's on the ledge about this position group ahead of oh. training camp like I am? Sean McDermott's scheme, I think, will do enough to mask the potential deficiency there. And then you have to hope the D-line stays healthy to protect that second level. And if you rally around a secondary that's filled with three all-pro players and a defensive line that has good versatility and variety and multiplicity to it, and you put that with what Sean McDermott can do, I think that can temper your woes a little bit. I will say, though... Is this where Taylor rap? Fucking got me. Yeah! Let's go! My Let's go! My saving grace for the linebacker group is Taylor Rapp as the dime linebacker in known passing downs and or third down situations. Well, going back and watching the Rams win the Super Bowl against the Bengals... Taylor Rapp is not the starting safety in that game. It was Nick Scott and it was uh, Eric Weddle, which is still a wild story that he came off <laughs> the street Weddle. and won a ring. And also in that game, broke his shoulder, dislocated it, and played the whole he's game. With old. One, yeah, but he gutted through it. It was impressive as hell. Daniel Bryan also broke his arm at Forbidden Door and tapped out Okada. I know you saw that. You were there. No, I didn't but, attend that orgy. No, you were there. <laughs> I saw you in the front. <laughs> you couldn't walk. You couldn't walk the next day. Taylor Rapp played that dime linebacker spot in that Super Bowl, and he played a lot of dime linebacker for the Rams. I am comfortable and confident with him in the hook curls, in the flats, functioning in and around the box and into the line of scrimmage. That is my biggest hope for this group. Now, you can't live. I don't think you can live in dime. I don't think you're putting him on the field consistently on first and second down in known run situations, but if this defense can get offenses to live into second and long or long-ish and get them into third and long-ish or known passing down the situations, I think you kick Taylor Rapp onto the field and now you get a one-linebacker set where that one-linebacker is Matt Milano and now you're playing with Taylor Rapp and Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer who all can do a little bit of everything, especially Poyer, Poyer and Hyde. I don't want Rapp living as that post-safety single high all mm -hmm. the time. But he can do it on occasion, but he's more than fine as a split field safety. And now you can start to get creative with which one of these safeties is staying around the box? Which one yep. is dropping? Is one of them blitzing? Are they in a man coverage defense? Now you can play all these games and you're in this, you know. And this is why I love you, because what you just did is outline why our safety episode mm. of the pre-camp stuff is mm. going to be amazing. Because we I have try. all of these things to talk about. Safeties are going to save the linebackers, folks. And there's no two bones about it. But it's going to be interesting to figure out where McDermott chooses to roll the dice. Absolutely. I can't wait to see how it all unfolds. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. Anthony, why don't you plug your – where are you on Twitter? Where can people find your show? Find me on Twitter at pro underscore underscore ant. That's pro. Two underscores A-N-T. I host Disguise Coverage live every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern on Cover One. And I'm also one of the co-hosts on the Cover One Film Room live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. That's with Eric Turner, the founder of Cover One. This week's episode, we had Greg Rousseau on, broke down game tape with him. Last week, we had Kyrie Elam on the show, broke down game tape and scheme and pieces with him. Um, that's what I do and where I am. And uh, that's me in a nutshell. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.